Good morning. One piece of, one piece of business to, to take care of. I didn't want Paul to, to do this because it may be just too rough for him, but um, the, the March Madness bracket uh, is over. It ended on Monday, and uh, we had two people in the running. The one that was in the lead, Chris um, Gurlke, I still don't know that I can pronounce his name right, but uh, uh, he was number one going into... Oh, there, there hey, Blake. Uh, uh, and then um, uh, Paul was the only one that had uh, a horse in the race still, and on the last second three-point buzzer beater, they, they, yeah, so Chris won, congratulate Chris, yeah, I know, yeah, I didn't want, I figured it would have been very difficult for you to have said that, so, oh, and by the way, I am, I am showing up next Saturday, so that gives all of you reason to be here next Saturday night. Um, I told Nicole, I was like, we can do a du- duet, and in her words, I wouldn't want to steal your glory. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that means, um, honestly, but uh, so uh, make sure you're here. Uh, if you're not here, we'll make sure we'll do the cotton candy in here so that next Sunday morning, you can just sniff cotton candy during worship. You may want to cut that out of the podcast, sniff cotton candy during worship. So is, is that, the, yeah, is that, the, is that the Baptist version of dope, like cotton candy, like bring your razors. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's a sermon in here somewhere. There's a sermon in here somewhere. Yeah, so, right, right, <laughs> CCA, Cotton Candy Anonymous, uh, so, <laughs> uh, Ben and Sarah, we've been talking about Ben and Sarah, Ben and Sarah, for the first time, Ben and Sarah felt the light of hope that their relationship could be restored uh, that day in the counselor's office, that when, when she recognized, she realized that the love that Ben had for her uh, went to the extreme. He gave every dollar he had in order to free her from uh, the, 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 the strip club that she went back to, the, 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 to free her from the pimps that, that had her in slavery. And she recognized and he recognized that the relationship could be restored for the first time. But now how does Sarah live in a restored relationship? How can, how can she go be a mother to, to, to her children when she feels like she can't, doesn't have any moral authority in which to stand? How can she be a wife to Ben when, when so much shame and guilt and regret lives in her heart? How can she face the church that she goes to? How can she face the family that she has? How can she face Ben's family when she knows They wanted him to walk away. How do you live in a restored relationship? We're in this series called Tainted Love, four weeks in. And we have a tainted love towards God because of our sin. But will God turn his back on us? That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea is an Old Testament prophet, or you can think Old Testament preacher. God had a unique plan for Hosea. Go marry a prostitute. Well, he did. They had three kids 
together. And then she left again to go back into her lifestyle of prostitution that, 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 her, that, that, that her just lured her back in. But God told Hosea, go, give everything you have for her to win her back, to, to, to free her from the slavery that she's in. And all of this is a living parable, a living parable of God's relationship with his people, God's relationship with us. That he frees us, that he keeps wooing us back, seducing us back to him, as we saw last week. He wants us to recognize our sin, recognize what our sin does to us, and recognize what our sin does to the the relationship that we are supposed to have with him. But he wants us to see the redemption, that he paid it all to redeem us from our lifestyle of sin, to, 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 to free us from the slavery of sin. And that he wants, he did everything to restore the relationship that he wants to have with us, that we can't do anything to restore the relationship. It's all on him. But how do we live in a restored relationship? We see this in Hosea 10. We're going to look at two verses in Hosea 10, 11 and 12. Uh, But the entire chapter is God talking to his people about two sins in particular, two idols in particular that they were turned on by. One, a good economy. Two, a good military. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Especially in an election year. What are two of the prime, um, uh, prime things that's talked about in an election year? How good I'm going to make the economy and how good I'm going to make the military, right? But they wanted a good economy so that they could get money to chase after the idols that turned them on. And they wanted a good military so that they would be safe and secure so that they could go chase the idols that turned them on. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? See, we should read the Bible. This is 2,700 years ago, but the same stuff keeps coming up again and again and again. It's the same stuff. But in the middle of God talking to them about the idols that that turn them on, he gives us a glimpse into how he wants to seal the relationship that he's restoring. Hosea chapter 10, verse 11. I'm going to throw the scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along in the Bible app. Reminder, if you want to come back to these verses, uh, you want to save uh, the event in the Bible app. Also, you can find these verses through our app under resources. Uh, There's a link there that will then take you to the event in in the Bible app. But Hosea chapter 10, verse 11. Israel is like a trained heifer treading out the grain. An easy job she loves. But I will put a heavy yoke on her tender neck. I will force Judah to pull the plow and Israel to break up the hard ground. I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he might, might, might come and shower righteousness upon you. The first thing that he tells his people is this. Unrighteousness is an easy pursuit. He said, she's a, she's a trained cow that likes an easy job. He's talking to them about their sin. You like to do whatever's easy. If it feels good, do it. We tell 18 to 25-year-old guys, if it feels good, do it. What are they going to do? It, right? If it seems right, do it. Well, if it seems right to get revenge, do it. If it seems right to lie about it, do it. If it seems right to cheat about it, do it. 
Guess where our heart's going to go every time? Unrighteousness is an easy pursuit. And if you've always struggled with maybe church and, and, and God because, because it seems like, why would I ever do that? Why would I follow the rules? Why would I go to church? Because it seems harder. God agrees with you. God says unrighteousness is the easy pursuit. He says, I will put a heavy yoke on her tender neck. The heavy yoke, the context is righteousness. Righteousness is harder. Paul agrees with you. The Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, the guy who took the gospel to the ends of the earth as they knew it, he agrees. 1 Corinthians 15. Some people came into the, to, to the church of Corinth and started preaching that Jesus was never resurrected. And he came against that. Here's what he said. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Look, look, he's like, if you die, for those of us that die in Christ, or th- those in your church that died uh, believing in Christ, if Christ didn't raise from the grave, they are lost. They're six feet under. That's it. They are worm bait. That's all they are. If there is no resurrection, there's no afterlife, there's no heaven, there's no eternity, it's just live and you die. And if that's the case, listen here. If your hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Paul says it himself. If the resurrection's not true, then we are bigger fools than anybody else in the world. Why is that? Well, we might as well live it up. We might as well live it up, right? If all we do is die and go to the ground, live it up. There's an apologetic used in evangelism that's wrong. I've used it until I read this verse and felt the heaviness of this verse says, hey, look, 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 look. See, those of us that believe in Christ, it's a win-win. If we believe in Christ, then we're right. We're right. There's heaven. And if we believe in Christ and we're wrong, we still have a better life, to which non-Christians say, you're crazy. And Paul agrees with you. So why? If it's harder, why? Every one of us need to ask that question. Because if not, we are just doing this in autopilot. If it's harder, then why? God utilizes a metaphor from about planting and harvesting. And he, when it's described in verse 12, it's all out of order. Let's take it in order of actually harvesting. That's the first thing you do when you want to plant. You till up the hard ground, right? You till up the ground. You make the ground soft. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. That's the hard work, right? That's the hard work. Plow up the hard ground of your heart. That's the hard work. Why? Because it hurts. It hurts to plow up the hard ground of our heart. God's doing some stuff in, in an area of my life, just plow, plowing up the hard ground of my heart. And it's like, 
That hurts God. Stop it. It was fine. You don't need to touch that. Stop it. Right? Don't do that. That's the hard work. God tells Israel that in verse 11. I'll force Judah to pull the plow and Israel to break up the hard ground. That's the hard work. But it's the worthy work. Because righteousness is a better fruit. Righteousness is a better fruit. See, after you till up the hard ground, what do you do? You plant the seed, right? Nicole, a couple of weeks ago, was looking out our front window, and one of our across-the-street neighbors was, was, was putting grass seed out, but he was doing it like this. <coughs> She's like, imagine there's a better way to do that. Yeah, I could just imagine him going, get in the ground, get in the ground, get in the ground. You might as well put seed in the shotgun. If you want to get it in the ground, get it in the ground, right? It's not as hard work as plowing up the ground. But sowing seed is still a hard work, right? Now, I spent 20 bucks and went and got me a, a little spreader thing, right? right? They didn't have that in that day, right? 2,700 years ago, they didn't, they didn't have Scots. They had to physically go out with their bag and throw it up in the air. I doubt they did it like this. Throw it up in the air. Not as hard as tilling the ground, especially before the days of gasoline and... It's still hard work. So plant the good seeds of righteousness, God tells them. Plant the good seeds of righteousness. Now, there's a danger here. The danger is this. You can plant the seeds of righteousness or you can plant the seeds of legalism thinking you're planting righteousness. How do we plant righteousness? He tells us. Now is the time to seek the Lord. We seek Jesus. We hear and follow Jesus. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says it later, same, same sermon, different chapter, Sermon on the Mount. He says it later, Matthew uh, 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Some of you know it like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? Right? See, I got it Saturday. Saturday. Karaoke. Cotton candy. I'm going to sniff it. If you missed the first part of the sermon, you missed it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we are seeking his commandments, we're seeking legalism. If we're seeking Jesus, we're planting the seed of righteousness. What do you need for the seed to grow. You need water, right? You need showers. This was the day before irrigation systems, so they were only dependent upon the rain. Seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness on you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I have some seed here, my grass seed. If I was bored... I could count this. It's a limited number of, of seeds, right? I could count this. If I was bored. I could count this. But even the small shower that came this morning 
Could I count the raindrops? See what God is kind of doing here? Sow this limited number of seeds. Seek me. What will I do? I will rain down righteousness in unlimited fashion on you. That's how he seals that relationship. It's not up to us to seal the relationship. He rains righteousness down on us to seal that relationship. And when the seed gets watered and it grows, it produces a harvest. Here's what the harvest looks like when you plant righteousness. And you will harvest a crop of love. God didn't say you will harvest a crop of morality. Harvest crop of love. What did Jesus tell the disciples hours before he died? And they will know you by your morality. No. They will know you by your love. Unconditional sacrifice for somebody else. What's the litmus test to know if you're planting righteousness or legalism? If you're planting righteousness, you will love people better today than you did five years ago, especially those who are not like you and especially those who are not moral like you. If you're planting the seed of legalism, you will hate more today than you did five years ago, especially those that don't look like you and are as good as you morally. How do you know the difference? Look at your Facebook feed. What do you post about people? What memes do you post about people? It gives a look into the heart that we have. Maybe we need to repent of legalism, the idol that turns us on, if the evidence shows that we hate people more today than we did five years ago. Practically, what does this look like? Let's take a stereotype. Frat boy. Mommy and daddy's paying for school, so all he's at school for is to party, pleasure, sex, girls. Frat boy gets invited to church. Frat boy eventually gets saved. Sunday morning. Typically, either directly or indirectly, what we tell frat boy, either in that time or over time, is this. Hey, frat boy, I'm so glad you got saved. God wants to transform your life. He's going to take all those old desires away. You'll never want that again. And then either directly or indirectly, we tell him, if you still have those old desires, you're not saved. So what happens Monday? Monday rolls around. Frat boy sitting in frat house. Sorority girl comes in. Same sorority girl. Girls. It's Friday night. Friday night, the desire that he had for sorority girls led to sex. Monday night, sorority girls walks in, and the same desire hits. It's confusing, right? He's been told that desire is going to go away, and if it doesn't, eh, I don't know if you're saved or not. Biblically, what should we tell him? According to this verse, hey, frat boy, so glad you got saved. God wants to transform your life, and it's now going to be harder. 
It's going to be harder. Look, 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 frat boy. You're going to have two competing desires now. You used to have one desire, and you did it. Literally. But now you've got two competing desires. What's going to happen is sorority girl is going to walk in frat house. And frat boy is going to still have desire for sorority girl. But then there'll be another desire that's competing. You will also say, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Romans chapter 7, I call the doo-doo passage. Paul says this, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. So if Apostle Paul, anybody here want to debate Apostle Paul's salvation? Anybody? Anybody? Except, yeah, not me. That's what I thought. So if Paul had these competing desires in him, and he's a Christian, what are we doing to frat boy? When we say competing desires, it means you're not. What's he going to do? One or two things. One or two things. He's either going to go into the lifestyle of legalism to take care of that desire, or more likely, especially today, he's going to walk away from the church. Jesus didn't work. Let's be real. There's going to be competing desires. So what do we tell frat boy to do? We tell him, when those competing desires come up, seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Hear and follow Jesus. You can pray to God. Tell him your feelings. He already knows. He'll probably agree they're hot. He made them. Right? Right? You're like, God thinks people... Yes. Fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Why don't you call somebody? Now, don't describe them because we don't need two people lusting over people. I've got this going on. I've got these desires. They're competing. Let the community walk you through that. Of course, Scripture, steady diet, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but this. What's the harvest? Love, right? So the person on the phone is going, hey, view those girls the same way Jesus viewed the woman caught in adultery when she was lying before him naked. Jesus was the only person who didn't use her for something. Either her body or to trap him, trap Jesus. View those girls the same way you would like your sister to be viewed. Who knows, you might marry one someday, probably not. So what does it mean to love them right now? Because the harvest is love, right? The harvest isn't, don't have sex! The harvest is love. Let's have a greater desire. Love is the greater desire. Sarah leaned into righteousness 
And when she had those competing desires, sometimes she failed. See, frat boy can fail. Sarah can fail. You can fail. Legalism doesn't allow failure. It's got to be perfection. Following Jesus allows failure. Why? Answer's always the same. Seek the Lord. Hear and follow the Lord. Well, you can't do that. The disciples failed. She leaned into righteousness. She hungered and thirsted in a way she hadn't, maybe ever. She leaned into her kids. And despite the feelings of inadequacy, she loved them. She leaned into her husband. And despite the feelings of, of, of shamefulness and remorse, she chose to love him. She leaned into her community of believers and despite some of the sideways glances and grimaces, she decided to walk in righteousness. And despite, not want, despite wanting to save face, she got a group of believers around her that could encourage her and strengthen her. Despite not knowing how family would treat her, she leaned in. And one day, in righteousness, she was able to help girls who were turned on by the same idols as her. That's love. That's sowing righteousness. Maybe this morning your next step is Inviting Jesus into your life. Say, I commit to you, Jesus. All I want is this righteousness. All I want is this type of relationship where you shower righteousness down upon me. I invite you to commit to Jesus. I'm not saying go to Africa. All I'm saying is that next step, calling out to him and saying, this is what I want. For those of us that that's taken care of, hunger, thirst for righteousness. Hear and follow Jesus. Pursue Jesus with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You'll fail at that just like I'll fail at that. But we get up and we keep seeking Jesus. Because he's the one that rains righteousness down on us. Let's pray. And Father, Lord, I thank you for the righteousness that you give, that you shower down on us. Lord, we need it. We have to have it. If you don't give it, we're going to hell, period. Lord, I pray that the light of your hope shines in somebody's heart this morning for the first time. Call them. Woo them. Bring them to you. 
your name we pray. Amen.